Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a serious disc agreement, a special bonus episode. I am one half of the show, Blake Howard. This show, as you know, is the only one of its kind on the Australian interwebs that dare tackle the sacred, oft-whispered topic of DVD culture. And today, I am talking to a director who is living out his physical media dreams with his indie horror debut lair being released on the sacred format of DVD. Not digital video disc, folks. Digital versatile disc. His name is Mr. Adam Ethan Crow, and I had a chat with him about lair before we dive into that chat. Here's a trailer, listen to the trailer, and then hear me have a chat with Adam about his influences, about the film, about making independent features, and doing it on the smell of an oily rag, and uh, and just hopefully it's a good little fun chat for you as a bonus. And then Alexi and I will be back on another episode of Serious Disagreement, unpacking the discs as we have want to do. But here's a trailer for Lair, and then a chat between Adam and myself. Enjoy. Something's got you spooked. The doll. I'll call her Amy. That voodoo thing. We dump one item in the apartment. We can monitor this place from one of the other apartments. One, two, three. Anything supernatural happens, I'll record it. Did you hear that? Something happened in that house. I want to talk to you about Lair. I really, really enjoyed it, first and foremost. I want to talk about horror. 
being a playground for, I guess, stretching your formal self, like defining your fingerprints as a filmmaker. But talk to me about your influences because this is a great little mashup of, you know, even things like, and, you know, forgive me if I'm wrong and I'm, I could be completely off base, but like you've got the dollar hides. I'm a Michael Mann fan. So, you know, you, say, you, you say dollar hide, I'm only going to think about Manhunter or Thomas Harris. If you say, yes. um, if, if, and you've got here um, Corey Johnson, who plays sort of Stephen Caramore, who's kind of like your almost like Joe Hallenbeck from Ridley Scott's Last Boy Scout. Like he's the worst kind of downtrodden well, shit. You've done this character. before, haven't you? I've done it a few times. He just sounds like Joe Hallenbeck. He sounds like he's got that Shane Black thing. So tell me about making this movie, which is kind of like the anti Ed and Lorraine Warren. Like, talk to me about it. Well, it was pretty much that. Um, I enjoyed the first country. I enjoyed a couple of them. And big horror fan, grew up watching things like Zombie Flesh Eaters and obviously Dawn of the Dead and stuff. And I wanted to make a film that I wanted to see that I didn't think was quite out there yet. And my big takeaway from it was a lot of the times when you've got like your evil guy, he's always just evil. He hides in the shadows and looks weird. And I thought if I could come up with somebody who, like you said, Hallenbeck, um, yeah, definitely, man, um, who was char kind of funny, charming, someone who's a bit sarcastic, but someone you'd probably have a beer with. And I thought, if I haven't really seen that in an evil guy, someone who, because they're always, you know, they're lurking. And I thought, well, maybe I'd come up with something like that. That would work for me. Um, and so that's why I created Stephen Caramore. And I did a short film, um, actually my first short film a while ago, probably about eight, nine years ago, called Warhol. And yes. Corey was in that. And um, he was very, I mean, the way he speaks, he's got this, kind of charm to just the way he delivers dialogue. And I thought, if that guy was was the evil dude, then maybe I'd not see it coming. And so that's kind of where I went from there. And then the dollar hiding, exactly that was Manhunter. I'm a huge fan of Michael Mann for many reasons, obviously, you know, he and um, Red Dragon and stuff, but, um, or Manhunter. But I, I just, I wanted to try and tell a, a scary story a little bit differently. And the same with the family as well. You know, like, I don't know if you picked up on it, but, you know, we've got some found footage in it, but we don't actually do the little found footage point of view thing. Like we actually go through the screen and then we're in the different world. Um, so having a different take, because we see so much in the way of found footage and we cut to a little camera and it's going to be static and people step into the frame. And that's what we're used to seeing. I thought, well, if we could literally fade through the TV and go into that world. And again, we made this, we made this movie on a, on a, on a shoestring, man. Seriously. I was, calling in friends and uh, favors from friends and stuff. And um, we were picked up originally by the studio. We were going to make it with Fox and we had a couple million bucks. And then Disney bought Fox and went, no, we're not making that. <laughs> and, <laughs> so um, we literally ended up on the street pretty much with some much better storyboards, but not much else. And um, I, I, I basically was really depressed, as you can appreciate. I've been trying to get my little film made for four years. Of course. And the first feature... And my partner, Shelly, who's um, a crazy Kiwi, went, well, why don't we got, you know, 20 quid and a pickled egg in the bank? Why don't we make it ourselves? So uh, we spoke to a few people. We put up what little we had. And a couple of friends of ours jumped in and said, look, here's a grand. You know, here's 500 quid. I'll bring pizza. And um, <laughs> we, we made a movie. We had one camera. We shot it over 21 days in central, in London, which is obviously a really expensive place to be in. And we called in favors. Everyone got, we made sure everyone got paid something. Even if it was only 50 bucks, we go, everyone, we're not gonna, we said on this first film, we're gonna call out favors. And then on the next one, we'll pay everyone properly. 
but we're going to pay you something. And we had so many good people pitch in as well. Like Mario Grigorov was a friend of mine, and he did the score for Precious, which obviously, you know, the yes. Oscar. And he did um, Summer Fantastic Beast and Tarzan. And I said, we need an original score. And uh, he was like, okay, what you got? I was like, well, this. He went, yeah, okay. And, and he pitched in, man, and he did a completely original score. And he had no reason to do that. And, you know, but so many people, um, our, our prosthetics, um, and, our, you know, a friend of mine called Tristan Vasellis was my DIT operator on my very first short film. And um, he came over, gave us uh, six days doing our monster stuff. And then he had to leave early because he was going to LA because he'd been nominated for an Oscar for 1917. <laughs> so, you know, he'd come from, you know, the guy in the corner with the laptop on a film where someone's going, we can make the practicals look like we're making a Spielberg film. You know what I mean? And to, to basically being Oscar nominated and still willing to roll up his sleeves and work for pizza and, and get on board. And that, that really, for me, was inspiring. You know, there are times where you, you, you set out to do something like, like a feature, my first feature, and um, you call on people and the reaction is rightly so, they can't help because they're busy or doing something else. But then when you do get those people who go, you know what, let's just go for it. People have got a little bit of a dream behind them. And um, I decided then that anything I do moving forwards, you know, if you're surrounded by patriots, not mercenaries, people who are there because they really <laughs> believe in what you're doing yeah. rather than a paycheck, then you can pull off something. And when we first got our sales agent, and we told him, like, they were like, well, what's the budget? And I was like, we made it for this. They were going, no way. And, again, I'm not saying, we, you know, it, it looks like Spielberg did it, but there is a side to it where I think now technology is getting so much, has come so far that you can make something that looks like it's got some kind of production value with not much money at all. You uh, know? Adam, I'm I'm so, I, I sell Marvel as a as a film critic and, and still get quite frustrated um, to be honest, where you, you see a film like a, you know, a little film like your film that's made on the smell of an oily rag, basically. And you see a film like Moonlight, Moonlight costs 4 million bucks. And, um, you know, Barry Jenkins is an extremely innovative and, uh, and intuitive filmmaker. And I'm like, he turned, he made that 4 million bucks look like 150 million. And I'm, and sometimes 150 million doesn't look like 4 million bucks, you know? Uh, So, so I, yeah, there, the democratization, um, a film technology certainly helps. I mean, you only have to look at the damn ads for the iPhone 13 camera. It doesn't tell you anything that the phone does. Right? It doesn't tell you what the phone does. It just tells you that you can shoot like you're shooting a movie. Um, but I, 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 that's- On that point, though, we were at Fright Fest and we were sitting next to this guy and um, he was saying, and we, we were talking, he's an American guy, and he made um, a really good film. And he was saying about it was a micro budget and how they struggled and stuff. And then he goes, we only had a million dollars. And I went, Really? Okay. Um, he just flown in from the airport. I just got off the tube. I'm going, we are really not talking about the same thing when we say micro budget. Very different stories. But yeah, it was like, oh, yeah. yeah, we only have a million. I'm going, okay. Made a million. You're like a million. I could have, I could have made all the three movies I've got on the storyboards here um, for this Yeah, that's one. my slate, man. <laughs> but look, you know, um, I, I think... I think the idea, like the 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 conceit of Lair, and so folks who are going to be listening to this are going to be listening it, to it in our physical media show, Serious Disc Agreement, where we're going to talk about your film. And so, you know, when we're talking about it, the, I, I, I just don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything, but I just want to say that it basically, 
you know, the main, the, the primary character of the movie, other than the family who is sort of unwittingly involved is Stephen Caramore's character. He's, former mate who we don't know too much about is uh ben dollarhide which is oded fair and he has done something horrendous that we get to see glimpses of at the beginning of the movie and caramore is a hallenbeck style complete cynic who goes look i've been collecting all of these horrible paranormal artifacts forever so i'm just gonna hire out like an airbnb set up a bunch of cameras, chuck in every single thing that you would have normally found in Ed and Lorraine Warren's basement into this place and just see what happens. <laughs> and, and I, I kind of like, I, I, I genuinely like the, the, the cynical sort of like the, the forever cynic as the leading character who is unwittingly the bad guy of the movie, essentially, because yeah. you have someone who like gets themselves so far down a rabbit hole that it goes. So when you were thinking about this, like, was it purely a reaction of like seeing, you know, this omnipresent sort of genre, or was it just like, you just thought I want to put this cynical jerk in a horror movie and see what kind of chaos he can orchestrate. Cause you know, how, how did you get to him? Well, my, my take on it was that um, what would I do? It's like you've got a friend of yours who has been accused of something terrible and you've got a warehouse full of all this apparently, you know, <laughs> evil knickknacks and cursed Madonnas and whatever, and your dad just died and the house is empty. So why not just see what happens? Because, <laughs> and, you know, there's a side to him going, well, if, if, if he doesn't believe it, obviously, but if something does happen, then maybe he'll get a bit of press out of it and a book deal. And if it doesn't, then... You know, he'll know his friend is crazy. So I just think sometimes you, you have a base reaction to, to certain things. I think in life as well, you kind of just go, well, you know, let's just give it a shot and see what happens. Why not? It's a Wednesday and there's nothing on TV. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I just thought it'd be interesting to see one ordinary guy. Because, you know, like the Lorraine Warrens of, of this world and stuff, they've got their whole kind of, um, they've studied it and they're doing this and they believe this and they can tell you exactly where it came from because they've done the history. We got this, you know, you got this guy who's just been wandering around collecting knickknacks and, and, you know, talking crap or whatever. Um, and he's gotten there and his mate's saying one thing. You know, it's like when you're in the pub with a mate of yours and they go, my car can go faster than your car. Okay, I've had 12 pints, but let's get in the car and see what wins. <laughs> and it was just how normal people sometimes think is what I thought. And um, because Corey is so uh verbose and the way he talks like i mean so like there's a line in there which um someone actually pulled up on me where um cory you get see something freaks him out he goes mother of dragons now i didn't like that he just said it because he watches you know he watches um game of thrones too much right i didn't write that you know but he's just one of these guys and he's kind of charming and and you know i thought it'd be fun to play that role and so yeah we just wanted we put our heads together and we messed around with the we bounced some um dialogue off each other and we sort of came up with that guy between us but I was always thinking that the Hellenbeck thing I did and again I'm not going to pretend that's what I thought it was but now you say it you are bang on the money brother that is exactly what I was going <laughs> it for it just he just felt like that kind of character yeah. and I think that Corey sometimes for better or worse and he's a phenomenal character he's one of those guys he's like an every guy you see him he's you know they say yes. that guy you know you see him in lots of stuff and you know he for most people they might go oh like he's that he's literally part of the furniture in the entire Bourne series, like such a vital role yeah. in that, in that hunt, perpetual hunt for Jason Bourne. But I, I do love here that he kind of gets to show that he's, he's much more less button up, more cheeky side, but I, I have to talk about as well. Um, 
some of the the impulses in this movie, as you said, of like you you establish these rules of like this is going to be kind of like you know that apartment from Sliver kind of surveillance. Everything is everything has a camera in it, and I and then you you counter that with like as you said like messing a little bit with time messing a little bit with the, you know the cameras moving through the the visual sphere so that we're not just like stuck in the surveillance was that a was that rule break uh part of it because you're like man in horror so much and for better and worse like i think i think some of the found footage stuff that horror has done in the last 20 years is amazing but absolutely things, things get stuck into a genre convention so you're like you set the parameters and you're like, i'm going to move through this i'm going to have a play around with what people where people think the camera should stay where i should stay as the eye of the filmmaker no you're entirely right and, and there have been i mean oh my god look at wreck i mean there are so many yeah re, there are there are times where i was speaking to a really famous filmmaker once and he said all you want is a good story told well Sometimes yeah. you tell it 3D or in color or a musical or so, and that's it. And with our film, what I wanted to do was, because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a monster fan, is I didn't want to show the supernatural effects grainy black and white. That was kind of where it came from. Yes. I wanted them to be able to see, and you've seen it. So I wanted, to, when, 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 when the, at the end of, towards the end of the movie, where all the sort of madness happens and people get ripped asunder or whatever happens, I want to get into it. Um, I wanted people to be able to see it. You know, um, and so I thought if I can, if I have to show it black and white, static, locked off camera, it wouldn't look as good. And so I, I kind of thought, well, I've got to show it, find a way so I can show it in full color, full frame, so people can see what's going on. And that was one of the mediums. And so when I did that, I thought, well, the best way to do it would be able to have a slight time jump. And then we move through the actual, um, through the TV screen. Because obviously we're looking at TV screen, the camera actually pushes through, and then we're in the other world and we get to see what they're watching. And so that was really just, I suppose me wanting to, to, like I said, it's a film I wanted to see. I wanted to, I, I want to make movies that I actually want to see. And for that to happen, I wanted, I wanted people to see what's happening. You know? Yeah. And yeah. so I figured this would be a good way. It's, um, it's a way to exercise your individual frustrations with sometimes, God damn it. I want to see the freaking monster. I don't just want to see a hand. I don't just want to hear yes. a howl. Yeah, I, and that's I, why at the end I, I made sure that someone you got to see what was going on. <laughs> obviously, like most of them, because obviously, I mean, Aliens one of my favorite films, obviously, but to me, Alien will always be the best. Um, but the way it hid in the shadows and stuff, which is why we've got a lot of things happening in the shadows, we don't quite see the monster. But again, like with the Maria scene and stuff, you kind of hopefully. Well, I, I think we had a really good sound guy um, uh, who helped us out on that, and some of it is just the quality of the sound when you hear things happening off screen. But when we get to the big kills, I want I want to see what's going on. I want to see it come out of the show. I want to see what we've been hiding from all this time. So it's important to have that as well. Um, the um, uh, but again, when, when we did this, we had no idea what we were going to do. And again, to be picked up by Studio Canal, look, I'll be totally upfront. And we made this, like you say, on the smell of an oily rag. I'm going to keep that phrase. Um, thank you. And. Um, <laughs> I'm we surprised. Out, I'm surprised that's not in your vernacular. I feel like that's such a that's a that's a British slang that has come to Oz as part no, of no, our as, Yeah. Oh well, there there you go. So like <laughs> yeah. So so that that British slang that you, you can adopt that that's come to Oz and that lives here. Cool. That lives in lives in the Antipodean uh, vernacular these days. I, so, I used yeah. to spend a lot of time out in Melbourne and stuff. So anyway, but yeah. So so um, one thing that did happen for us with um, when, like I I assumed that you know we'd get hopefully picked up by somebody because you know when you've got when you, when so many people are putting their time and energy, you almost feel that. 
that need to make sure people see it because so many people have donated their time and, and like I say, for, for, for nothing other than to be part of what we're trying to do. Um, and that's why I think filmmaking uh, sometimes gets taken advantage of because people have a passion for it. And I think any yeah. industry where there's passion, people lean into it. And we've like, hopefully, or it looks like we're gonna be making another movie, which is great. And the deal was I'll call in favors on this one, but everyone gets paid something. But on the next one, everyone gets paid properly. And it looks like we're gonna be able to do that um, now because we've got something else lined up from based on it you know, because of this um but for us it was like we, we had a sales agent who's a friend of a friend again you know wouldn't normally pick up our kind of film and our kind of budget but um uh they picked it up and they went out and um when they said look studio canal uh picking up your film i nearly fell off the chair because <laughs> i assumed we'd get steve's distribution or you know what i mean that kind of, and, and, you know, when like, they did The Fog and um, all sorts of things like that, and you kind of go, an orphan, which I think is a great movie and a lot of people don't know enough about. But so that is such a huge compliment for all of us. That's why at the front of the movie, when it comes up and it goes a film by, and then it fades in a family of filmmakers. Because when I was doing short films, I'd have Anatomy from Crow Film, but having walked through the process of 20 days with all these people, going to bed late, getting sick on set, turning up, beg, borrow and steal and stuff, you know, at the end of it, I just felt disingenuous to go, this is my film, because it's not. It really isn't. Um, and so when we heard that, and, and honestly, I told everyone who was picking us up, and everyone was like, what? You know, I've actually, <laughs> I've heard of these people. That makes no sense. And so, you know, because when someone other than your nan says you've done well, then you're kind of doing good, right? Well, I was just going to say, I was just going to say for horror, you know, uh, a few people have listened to me chat about before, like, you know, horror, horror fans it's especially probably of people you're my gen it's like you grow up and for us it was the video stores like and, and in australia yeah. we'd go to video stores and you get weekly hires which for people who are listening you may not even understand what the hell i'm talking about you go to the store <laughs> and you spend like seven you know it's like seven weeklies for 10 bucks you hand over your 10 bucks and you go get seven vhs tapes and so when you start out you go and get a stack of movies like the things you've mentioned you just pull them off the shelf because it has a cool cover yeah. like you literally know nothing else you go home and you watch it you scare the living shit out of yourself late at night on a small screen and then you go back and you do it all over again the next week like that's that was like that's exactly. how you that's how you grow into a cinephile especially if anyone who loves horror and that's how like you know that's a horror education i earned for myself hard fought by getting every single film in a series and watching it but i really truly feel and um so firstly congratulations on the film but i truly feel that horror especially uh you know you as an indie filmmaker and as a as a first feature film like the home video aspect of it i don't think it loses anything in fact it probably gains something because like horror you do want to see it in a theater but it's one of those things that i don't think the gap especially when you're psychologically vulnerable in your house late at night by yourself watching a yeah. creepy movie about monstrous objects or creepy things that may or may not be like telling you weird uh, manipulating thoughts in your brain. I don't think it loses anything. So firstly, congrats on that. Secondly, as a physical media head myself, like having it on the shelf, I think it's just totally going to sit there perfectly. So yeah, look, oh, yeah, huge bro, congrats. When, when I got, when I got told that I didn't even realize that, um, that when I got told that they were actually putting out an actual, DVD, yeah. I was like, that's incredible. I need that. I'm doing it. Because I want to put it on my shelf. Because it was like, honestly, they sent through the artwork. And I was like, I didn't know. I was like, oh, my God. it's a Because I am still that guy. I still, 
have all my DVDs. I love physical media. And there are certain times when you sit there, I've even got some old VHS tapes that, you know, from horror nasties back in the day. And <laughs> I think like any collector, you pick up certain things that go, but the, the, the biggest piece of, I want to, I mean, I'll show this because apparently I've got to shoot. Um, imagine me. Um, is that what did happen was um, we, uh, we got an email the other day and um, it was from Michael Grace, who obviously wrote Poltergeist yes. and produced Sleepwalkers with Stephen King and loads of other ones. And he saw the film and uh, um, he wrote me an email saying how much he enjoyed it. And that to me was like, you just don't get that. Like, you just don't, that's you don't a, get it. That's, that's it, really cool. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that that's insane. But you can, but you can tell why someone like Michael Grace would dig it for exactly it's, that, for exactly that reason. Because, because again, how grounded in reality Poltergeist feels for so much of the movie, how grounded yeah. in like real people. Um, and look, yeah. So I, understanding you're getting the nudge. Congratulations. Thank thanks you having, so much. Man. Thanks. Thanks for having a chat. Thanks for bringing Joe Hallam back into the horror genre and, uh, and uh, all the best and uh, all the best with everything else you do, man. Take care. Well, Matt, hopefully, hopefully I'm going to talk to you again. Uh, I'm going to make another film and uh, genuine pleasure, man. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for your time. You have a great day. Yeah? Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts.